Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a Q&A. So we got a lot of questions from Instagram that we're going to go over today, so let's get right into it. The first one is going to be from Paige. Paige. Come on. Chiquetti. Chiquetti. You think? Oh, that's probably right. Chiquetti. Chiquetti. All right. Considering eliminating gluten and dairy to help with PCOS symptoms, what's the best way to hit protein? And do you have any advice on what a typical day sh- should look like? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, uh, what a typical day should look like, in my opinion, isn't something I can answer in this context because in my opinion, at least like when we create a day of eating for a client, or if we break down what a day of food and meals should look like for an individual, it's, it's not only based on their situation being PCOS or something along those lines. It's also based on their goal, fat loss, performance, health, muscle growth. And it's also based on their macros, obviously how much food you have to work with. And then last but not least, it's based on their schedule. So when do you work? When do you wake up? When do you go to sleep? When do you train? How hard are you training? How long are you training? All of those things factor into it on top of just adherence, right? Both adherence from a perspective of, you know, depending on your job or your day-to-day schedule, like that's going to influence how many meals per day you can even sit down and eat. But then also how many meals do you want to eat? You know, if I tell you that five is optimal and you're like, I only, I can only eat three, dude, I don't want to eat more than three times a day. Well, that's, that means we got to go with three. You know, if you're like, I only want to eat once, I'm probably going to argue with you, especially if this is your situation, but uh, it's really hard for me to say exactly what your day should look like. Now I can give general recommendations for PCOS. Um, we've worked with a ton of clients who have had it um, because it's a very, very common thing. And, and to be honest with you, there's, there's been times where we've worked people through it into their fat loss goal, either without knowing, cause they didn't get diagnosed. They just were having symptoms. And then finally, eventually they did. Um, and there's been times where we worked them through it knowing they had PCOS and we didn't do anything different because the truth is, is if you're following a healthy diet, you're training and you're going into a deficit, if you're assuming your goal is fat loss, you're gonna be fine. Yeah. Like PCOS or not, I think there's a lot of myths around PCOS and what you need to do and how you need to cut out carbs or eliminate things. Like she mentioned, eliminating gluten and dairy. If you're not lactose intolerant or you don't have a gluten intolerance or sensitivity, like celiac disease, which you would know because your throat would swell up if you had celiac disease, something very serious, like you're fine. You don't need to cut out either one of those. Um, In fact, there's, there's some gluten containing foods that I would recommend because they're slow digesting carbs and they're filling compared to starchy things like white bread or white rice to replace. Um, And then uh, dairy is, is a great protein source. So unless you're lactose intolerant, I definitely recommend that. So, and there's no literature whatsoever that supports the idea that you need to eliminate any one category of food uh, when having PCOS. What we do know about PCOS is typically you're going to need to go into a lower calorie deficit, right? There is some uh, potential for insulin resistance when having PCOS. The problem with that is that when people hear insulin resistance, they assume that they need to improve insulin sensitivity and that means they need to eliminate carbs. But it's not always the case because you can consume carbohydrates in a moderate dose and still improve insulin sensitivity, removing insulin resistance as long as you're living a healthy lifestyle, you're managing stress, and you're losing weight through a low-calorie diet and strength training. Mm. And strength training by itself as well improves insulin sensitivity. So, you know, um, I mean, she had Rose on her team. Totally. I took her through a, a crazy transformation. She lost a bunch of weight. She's a competitive BJJ athlete. She has PCOS. Mm. We didn't eliminate carbs the whole time. We actually kept them in because, and that was a hard, you know, this was early I mean, I started working with her four years ago, so she's been with us for a long time, and now she's a coach. But she, you know, at that time, it was hard, too, because there wasn't as much good information out, you know, and there still isn't a ton of good information out about PCOS. But I'm like, fuck, okay, PCOS, potential insulin resistance. Typically, your mind goes to low-carb, highly competitive Brazilian jiu-jitsu athlete. I don't want to remove carbs. Like, you know, what do I do here? And what we did is what I would recommend everybody do. We kept a, a moderate fat intake, so not super high, not super low, and we focused on good fat, healthy fats that, um, that aren't super filling. So 
olive oil, coconut oil, um, avocado oil, any type of oil that is fish oil, all those kind of things. Uh, obviously fats from, uh, eggs, steak, lean meats, like things like fish, salmon, fish, and stuff like that. So protein sources. Um, and then the typical things like if you, if you like nuts, you can throw in nut butter or nuts or avocado, but keeping it pretty moderate and just really healthy hormone effective fats, right? Um, good amount of monounsaturated fats. And then we keep a high protein diet. So you want to stay high protein with PCOS. And if you're at, really anybody wants to stay high protein, if you're chasing body composition goals, but PCOS, you want to have high protein. Um, I wouldn't eliminate dairy because if you do okay with dairy, Greek yogurt, cottage cheese, whey protein, these are all great, great protein sources. And then adding in egg whites, lean meats and fish, chicken, stuff like that. Um, those are going to be your best sources. So we kept a high protein diet. Then we focused on, um, high fiber complex carbs. So, uh, low glycemic, which glycemic index is kind of a flawed system, but sweet potato oats, oats, which often have gluten, um, shit, whole grain bread, as long as you can, you can tolerate gluten, everything, which most people can, if you're not gluten intolerant, um, that again, will have gluten, but it's high fiber, slow digesting, um, you know, lots of veggies, lots of like high fiber fruits. And the reason for that is, is because when you have PCOS, oftentimes, and this happens a lot when people have thyroid dysfunction as well, yeah. we need to go into a lower calorie deficit. So oftentimes I'm going to have to get a little more aggressive with your diet and I'm going to have to bring your calories a little bit lower because your body's just being stubborn, you know? And if you do have potential insulin resistance or just, it's just a matter of your body is going to put up a fight because it's under the stress of PCOS. I have to go deeper into the calories. If I create a bigger deficit, what's the best way to keep somebody satiated so they can adhere to that deficit? High fiber foods, mm. high volume foods. So you can eat a lot of uh, sweet potato, oats, broccoli, all kinds of vegetables, carrots, fruits, all these things. You're not going to have a ton of calories, but you're going to have a ton of volume. So you actually stretch the stomach. You stretch the gut. You, you keep yourself satiated. However, you're not increasing calories a ton. So totally. it's easy to stay in that deep deficit with high-fiber, low-calorie, high-volume foods. Um, now, anybody listening who wants to chase fat loss, who does not have PCOS, I'm going to give you the same exact advice. Keep a moderate fat diet to keep you healthy, high protein, high fiber foods when you go into a deficit because it's going to keep you satiated and it's going to keep your calories low. So there's, there's no difference here. The main difference is that this individual might have to be a little bit more strict. There might be a little bit less flexibility. There might be a little bit bigger of a deficit for the PCOS person versus the non-PCOS individual. But when we talk about special foods and shit, it's just whole foods. Okay. It's not necessarily that like, oh, broccoli has uh, pennyphenols in it and these micronutrients that could potentially increase, you know, and it's like these superfoods. And no, it's, it's literally just, well, you get f full on broccoli. You can eat 100 calories of broccoli and it's pretty fucking filling. Yeah. You eat 100 calories of rice and it's not that filling. You know what I mean? So that's really all we're doing here. And we're keeping a moderate, it's like mo high protein, moderate fat, moderate carb diet. You know, I wouldn't go super high carb and I wouldn't go super high fat. Um, I'm more likely to go low carb, high fat than I am high carb, low fat with somebody mm -hmm. who has PCOS, but I'd much rather keep it moderate because if we're planning on keeping them strength training because their goal is body composition, yeah. we need carbs, you know? Oh. So, um, but definitely don't feel like you need to cut out dairy and gluten. Yeah. It's unnecessary. Totally. You mentioned, uh, your, your, uh, experience with Rose. Yeah. You say BJJ athlete. Yeah. I just want to say BJJ champion. Oh yeah. Champion <laughs> national fucking champion. Yeah. That's crazy. I told Jordan Syatt that the other day because he does BJJ. Oh, yeah, that's and right. he was like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. No way. I was like, bro, national dope. champion yeah. for her weight class. Yeah. That's crazy. You know what's even crazier? What? This is even crazier. So um, I'll, uh, I'll probably get her on and she can tell more of her story yeah. soon because she has, she has a cool story. But, but um, we, you know, so we've gone through some different phases. There was some health stuff that came up and we wanted to build some muscle and stuff. So she gained a little bit of weight. And it's a weight class regulated sport, right? So she floated out of her lower weight class mm. that she typically competes in. And she was literally like, and she can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it was a month. I think it was like a matter of weeks. Like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in the higher weight class. I'm just going to jump in and do it. Why not? I'm just going to do it for fun. Uh, opposed to not doing it. Not doing the lower. She wasn't. Well, she couldn't because she wouldn't make well, weight. Well, I know that. but She wasn't going to do anything. Okay, okay, okay. There was no plans for competing. <laughs> and then it was like. You know, I'm going to be there anyway because she helps coach and she's in that. I mean, when you're in that community, you're in that community. It's like, fuck, I'm just going to jump in and then wins a national champion yeah. at a higher weight class than wow. normal. I'm like, what? That's so when she texted me, I was like, what the fuck? That is crazy. So, so cool. When she texted you and told you that she won? 
Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, one, you're jumping into a more challenging weight class totally, that you're not yeah. used to. And you weren't planning on competing. So yeah. we didn't we didn't change her diet. We didn't peak. We didn't weight cut. We didn't do anything because we weren't planning on doing it. Now she's competing again July 30th. I want to say it's the 30th, end of this month. And now we have like, okay, well, let's make sure we taper your training a little bit. Totally. Let's, you know, we're going to tweak your diet because she does have to do a small weight cut for this one because she's going down a weight class this one. But, uh, um, but it's just like, whoa, is that to the, Is that to the original weight class she was at before? Uh, the one in between. Oh. I, I, I'm not 100% positive, but I think it also depends on the type of tournament and all that stuff you're going okay. into because it's literally like. A lot of variables. I mean, it's like a one pound difference. Yeah. Wow. So like that seems really weird. Yeah. I think it's a different regulation depending on the league and stuff like that. So, totally. um, but I might sound like a complete fucking idiot cause I don't do BJJ. So people listening who do probably like, that's not one thing works, I do dude. know <laughs> that you're not wrong about is that she's a badass. She is a savage, bro. <laughs> that's so sick. Yeah. Well, anyway. All right. Um, next question, uh, comes from, I can't again, it's going to be Rachel Ray. She says, when explaining sugar substitutes like Swerve to clients, where the sweetener has has carbs but no calories, how do you communicate that that they still need to track it when using in large quantities like baking? Do you believe that the carbs should contribute to overall calorie intake or not? Um, I would love to ask Rachel how many times she gets a double take when somebody <laughs> says her name or when she says her name. How do you know it's – never mind. What? I hate – when people Maybe say it's Rochelle. Oh, no, no. I almost said, how do you know it's not the Rachel Ray? But uh, I hate that because my grandfather's name is John Wayne. And, <laughs> like, my mom's main name is Wayne or whatever. And everybody's like, dude, is, he's, the, he's the John Wayne. I'm like, absolutely. What do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean he's not the John Wayne? In my eyes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> that did, okay, here's the real question. Is, is the John Wayne, is he older than your John Wayne? My grandpa is the John Wayne. I'm just kidding. Uh, the actor, John Wayne. Yes, absolutely. The actor's older. Oh, yeah. So do you think his parents named him John Wayne because they liked the actor? John Wayne? I mean, high possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my he's... Westerns were, like, real yeah. popular back then. He's very, like, all about the actor, John Wayne. Yeah. All, everything in his house, like... You know how people, like, name their boats if they get registered in, like, yeah. a club and stuff? His the same, same name as the actors, and his houses are all the same, like... Everything's the so, same. So, like, he basically has his own name everywhere. Yeah. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Somebody who doesn't, like, if you had a kid and they, they don't, like, don't know who John Wayne is, they're like, our grandpa is so conceited. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to name my kid Steve. Steve? Yeah. Steve McQueen? Yeah. Is that a famous person? Oh, your listeners are going to torture you. What? It's a very famous actor. Oh. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. I had no idea. Uh, I know that Wiz Khalifa's uh, gin is McQueen. called McQueen. Yeah. Still don't know why. I don't know either. It's weird. I have some. I mean, it's not weird, but it's a random thing for Wiz Khalifa to call his yeah. gin. Yeah, that's... I thought it was cool. I yeah, like it, Wiz, and I like my last name. It's very cool. Yeah. Uh, I just found out there's a famous TikToker named Austin McBroom. Yes, there is. And he just did that boxing yes, match yeah, against yeah. another famous TikToker. Yeah, <laughs> Austin McBroom. Of all the famous that. people, it had to be a famous TikToker. Yeah, <laughs> with big TikTok guy. Not a fan. Um, I was going to say... Oh, uh, I always think about this, too, because, like, you know... So my grandpa was obsessed with Gunsmoke. Have you ever seen Gunsmoke? Nope. Extremely old Western TV show. It's like the Virginian. I have no idea. Same exact thing. So my dad loves Gunsmoke because he watched it with his dad when he was a little kid. And uh, my dad tried to watch it with me, and I was like, Dad, I can't sit through this for you five no minutes. No way. This is horrible. Yeah. Not only is it just stupid, but it's so old and poor quality that- Oh, it's bad. Why are you, like, what? But then I think about, like, when Blakely's, like, 14, and she's like, Dad, turn Seinfeld off. This yeah. is literally so bad. Because <laughs> I watched Go it. Go to your room. Because my dad watched it. Yeah. That's what I got into. Yeah. So fucking funny. Oh, my God. That's funny. <laughs> but, uh, all right. So, um, sugar substitutes. Uh, I think that you, the, the way I look at these in general, just, like, my philosophy towards them, is that you should never consume so many that, they, that you need to track them. It's like my, my spiel on it because here's the thing is like most of the time their, their influence on, uh, the reason they're zero calories is because the their, their influence on raising your body temperature through your metabolic rate is so non negligible or negligible or whatever the word is that it's in, insignificant, right? It's splitting hairs to even count them. It's like I have sugar-free gum and there's zero calories, but there's one gram of carb per stick. I'm not going to track the four pieces of gum I had today because 
it's not doing anything. And in the grand scheme of things, it is not making any difference. Yeah. But if you're having so many that it is making a difference on your caloric intake mm-hmm. or your metabolic, that's when I think it's an issue. Yeah. Same idea as the Diet Coke. Yeah. Like you have to have 45 of them to... The thing with Diet Coke is there's zero carbs in it. Oh. So or sometimes artificial sweeteners, like like a rock star, yeah. it's technically 10 calories. Okay. It's not a zero calorie. It's a zero sugar, but it's because it's got like erythrol or whatever, yeah. erythritol. But th- that's to, to me, I'm more like, okay, number one, it's 10 calories. Big fucking deal. Like I have two or three a day, so it's 20 or 30 calories. Probably not a good thing, but... <laughs> <laughs> Love gum. Uh, oh, I'm talking about rock stars. Oh, yeah. oh. I have two or three rock stars. I was thinking you had four pieces in the last 10 minutes, but no. Um, probably that too. But uh, I actually don't chew gum too much anymore. Um, but but I used to chew a ton of gum, especially when I was dieting. And that's and it's not, it's not going to make a difference. So I wouldn't worry about tracking it. But I think also too, like if your client is using them so much that they have to ask if they should be tracking it, they're probably having too many artificial sweeteners. You know, there's no good research that shows any type of issue with humans. Um, there's some issue, there's some research that shows some issues with, uh, somebody sent me some shit on like neurological stuff. The study was very iffy, mm. again, not on humans. Um, the mo- majority is showing that the gut microbiome might be disturbed by it. The artificial sweeteners, specifically, I don't know if it was, su- it's either sucralose or aspartame, but b- these studies are all on mice. So one, we have to go, okay, number one, we're not mice. We're humans. We're more resistant and resilient than fucking mice. Number two, even if the gut microbiome and the physiological changes that happen to mice are similar to us, they're in a quantity that's, that's one to 10% of ours, which means like, think about this, like a a, a large mouse is the size of your foot. If you have small feet, realistically, you know, cause they do them on mice, not rats. So like, it's literally the size of your foot. Your foot is probably what one or 2% of your entire body. A rat would be the size of my foot. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. If you have small feet, (laughs) like my daughter. Okay. There we go. So, but even better, that's probably what 1% of your total mass at most. So no matter what, we have to times whatever they get the mice to react with by 100, by 99, right? So if they give them one Splenda packet and they see gut microbiome issues, that means we need 99 or 100 Splenda packets at one sitting to have an issue with our gut Mm. because we have to multiply by that much because our body and our systems are so much larger. Now, that's an exaggeration, but they, they quite literally translated this in research and showed it's this is number is completely a guess but it's somewhere along lines of like you have to consume like 27 cans of diet coke in one sitting to have a reaction in that your was gut. my question earlier yeah okay so at that point not only is it non-negligible of a caloric perspective for fat loss but also from like a gut health or anything perspective it's it's non-negligible so i don't have clients track it why have them track one more thing that's not going to matter and have them worry about one more element that's not going to make a difference now if it's going to matter it's going to matter to your gut when you have too much i have had clients where i've had to tell them to reduce because they've taken progress pictures and their stomach is pressing out Right. And a good example of this is I've had more than one guy that consumed so many artificial sweeteners that it looked like a turtle shell because their gut was sticking out. They're so bloated. Wow. But they have a six pack. So like, have you ever seen like pro steroid using bodybuilders like Mr. Olympia where you look from the side and it looks like they have a gut or even like Ninja Turtles, turtle shell, you know, like it's round, but there's abs. So it's literally sticking out. Okay. Um, or like, uh, <laughs> This is even, this happens to me when I'm really, and it's happening a little bit right now. Not as bad as like a bodybuilder, obviously, but um, Blakely plays with like toy babies. So she's like, she's like, tells me to be like a mom. And she's like, you have a baby. And so I'll stick out my stomach as far as I can. And like, you can see my abs, but my stomach is like bulging out because I can press my stomach out. It looks like that. Mm. They have way too many artificial sweeteners in their diet. So I go like, hey, what are you consuming? Well, I have like two cups of coffee in the morning, two Splendas in each of those. I have my pre-workout. I have a couple scoots of whey protein every day that has sucralose in it. Um, I have half a pack of gum. I put Walden Farms syrup Holy in my oatmeal. Like it's just, so I'm like, okay, I'm not worried about the calories. I'm worried about your gut and your discomfort. Cause now you see the scale going up and you look at yourself. You don't like what you see and you think you have to lose fat. So what do you do? You do more cardio and you do less you eat less. That's not the fucking answer. Stop putting fake shit on your food. That's the answer. You're having way too much. Now, look, I put, when I have oatmeal, I'll put like sugar-free syrup in it that has some artificial sweeteners in it, right? My Legion products don't 
contains your glows and things like that. So I don't have to worry about with Legion, which is nice. Um, and a lot of supplement companies do have a ton of artificial sweeteners, um, which hint, hint, that's why we partner with Legion who sponsors this podcast. So shameless plug, head over to uh, buylegion.com slash boom, boom. If you want to save on a product that's actually good quality and avoid using this kind of shit. Um, but outside of that, I have like a couple diet root beers. Totally. That's it. Um, sugar-free ketchup a little bit, but like it's so little, it's such little amounts that I don't get bloating or craziness from it. If you're using like that stuff, I don't remember what it's called that she put in there, but it's, uh, where in the question, she named the product. Oh, oh. um, it's, it's called something. Let me explain it. Or did I delete that part? Yeah, you did. Oh, um, she doesn't have a title. When explaining sugar substitutes, like swerve. Swerve. So I was like, what the fuck is swerve? Oh, so I Google it. Okay. It's like a box of cake mix. Whoa. But there's no sugar. There's nothing. So I go, okay, how much artificial sweeteners in there? And if you look at the ingredients, which I didn't for this one, but if you look at the ingredients of that one, I actually did. I looked at the ingredients, not the macros. The ingredients on this one, the first ingredient listed was swerve. I'm like, okay, well, what is swerve on the ingredient list? And it's like parentheses, sweetener, 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 filler. <laughs> so like this, oh, it's just swerve. Really, it's like 10 different things. Mm. But I didn't look at the macros on it, but let's say it's, it's, zero cal- it's zero sugar, but there's 15 grams of carbs. Well, damn, like a, a full large diet rock star has one gram of carb from artificial sweeteners. And there's plenty of artificial sweeteners in a, in a rock star, don't get me wrong. But if there's 15 grams of something or 10 grams or even five grams in one serving, yeah. a lot of artificial sweeteners. So I think the problem is more around like you're just replacing things with fake food. And I don't think you're going to have like crazy serious issues from a health perspective because there's no research to prove it. It's just that you're, you're going to have d- gut discomfort at a certain point from bloat. And that's going to like, it's going to mask weight loss that you're having. Um, I even think about like, have you ever heard of Walden Farms? Yeah. So it's that, that syrup, right? Yep. So I have a different kind of syrup and it's, uh, it's reduced sugar. So it still has calories, but they use some artificial sweeteners and sugars to avoid too many calories, right? It's low sugar. Now, Walden Farms is zero calorie, mm. but it's thicker than any syrup I've ever had. It's almost like mm. like soft jello. Like you, jello you can pour out of a – like it's pretty fucking thick, dude. And so I'm like looking at it and I'm like, how is that not – it's a really popular thing of bodybuilders. Walden Farms everything. Walden Farms chocolate syrup, Walden Farms ranch, Walden Farms ketchup, barbecue sauce, maple syrup. There's tons of shit. Wow. But I'm like, if that's zero calories, there's no substance – why is it so thick? What's in it? Fuck if I know. I mean, you haven't looked into it. It's a bunch of different artificial shit. Oh. I mean, big words that you don't really know what they are. You know what I mean? Fillers and, and artificial sweeteners and you, but you coloring and dyes. I, way back. I haven't used that in oh, years. Oh, I thought you were talking about, you're talking about the, a lot of people use the stuff it. you put in your oats. No, that's uh, it's a different brand, okay. but it's, uh, it's not nearly as thick. It's like watered down syrup. So it's, it's not real syrup. You can tell. Okay. And, it, and it isn't completely calorie free where Walden Farms is, mm. but it doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, I don't know. I don't trust it, you know? So long rant, but just moderate it. I don't think they need to track calories. I think you just need to explain to them that like, if your diet is overly filled with, with zero calorie sweeteners to the point where you're getting bloated, the bigger issue is not the calories coming from it. If there is any calories coming from it, because most research shows that there's not, it's the relationship with food and calories that you have. You're so afraid to eat calories that you're resulting in covering your whole diet with artificial sweeteners. Right. And that's, and that's the experience I've had with clients where they're using two, like there's, this is, this is a direct correlation of clients I've worked with that use way too many artificial sweeteners and having a bad relationship with their body image or with their diet or with cardio. They're constantly trying to achieve a deficit. They're constantly trying to lose weight. They're constantly unsatisfied with their level of leanness. And I don't think it's directly because they have these, but it's not a coincidence that they're having all these fake calories. There's a rhyme and reason to that. 100%. Yeah. So I would be more focused on that kind of stuff. Totally. Basically. Love it, man. Uh, let's go to the next question. Is going to be from Tristan Kaysen. Uh We got, what is your experience in transitioning a client from the ketogenic diet to eating more carbs? For example, for fat loss. Slowly but surely. I mean the reality is you don't have to do anything crazy. The The issue you have to worry about is adherence because, you know, yes, you're fat adaptive at that time, but there's also good research to show like there's people who like endurance athletes, they'll follow a ketogenic diet 
and they could become extremely sensitive to insulin and to carbohydrates, right? And so what they do is they go keto in training and then right before a race, they super load with carbs. They eat mm. a ton of fucking carbs. And for energy. For energy. Yeah. Which, number one, if keto is so great, why are these pro marathon runners like switching to carbs right before a race? Obviously, because carbs are better for fuel. What they're doing, the smart part about using keto is that they're using keto as a way to almost super compensate. So they deplete their body. So their body is basically depleted and hungry for carbs and ready to absorb. So the second you fill it with carbs, it goes to the right place. It gets used as energy. It's like your bloodstream's full. Like you can supercharge the use of carbs. It's really cool, actually. Um, but my point with that is if they're becoming super sensitive to carbs and they're able to flip that switch and utilize them that quick overnight and the day of to, to shift into gear for a race, then a client shifting from keto to, to carbs, you could literally just go, oh, you're having 2,000 calories right now on keto. Cool. We're just going to flip it. 2,000 calories, not on keto. Mm. Drop the fats, raise the carbs. They're fine. There's not going to be a big issue. They're, they might be a little bloated. They might gain a few pounds from water retention because there's more food volume with carbs because um, carbs have four calories per gram. So it seems like they're eating more food, even though they're not eating more calories. But technically, I think from a physiological perspective, I don't think there's any difference. You don't have to worry about it. There's been plenty of clients who come on board with us um, and we do just that. They might not be following keto, but they're following a low carb diet or maybe they're following a low protein by accident, high fat, moderate carb diet. And we'll just keep their calories the same, flip macros around and they lose weight. They're fine. They feel good. Um, the only thing I would say is if somebody's really into like the keto lifestyle, you're probably going to want to do a slow transition and keep calories the same because it's going to be difficult for them to adhere to. Gotcha. So if they're eating hundred grams of fat and 20 grams of carbs next week, it's 85 and however many carbs to fill those calories. And then the next week it's 75. So you're just reducing by 10 to 15 grams of fat per week or per two weeks. And then if you drop hundred calories of fat, you add hundred calories of carbs, right? And you just slowly shift carbs and fat while keeping calories the same over the course of however many weeks it takes. And I think that would help their adherence. Gotcha. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm usually going to favor, I mean, I think people know by now <laughs> a high carb diet. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I know it, it can't be nobody, but what percentage of your clients do you do keto? It's gotta be low, but my personal, my personal clients is zero. No keto. I have some clients that are on low carb diets, but not okay. keto. Okay. Um, but the truth is, is the reason they're on low carb diets is because we're grinding out the last little bit. <laughs> you know, they're almost to their goal, and it's really just a low calorie diet. And it's just a like very, uh, uh, like how do I say it? aggressive goal, like a like a yeah. show yeah. or something. Yeah. Like one is literally competing this weekend. Goal, yeah. Say. One is competing this weekend as we're recording this. A couple others are just trying to get shredded, kind of like I am. Like yeah. I don't know what I'm doing with them. I'm just gonna get shredded. Are you and then, low carb? Not yet, but mm. eventually everybody does, oh. you know, because like real, realistically you have to cut somewhere and you can only cut fat so much. So right now, my personal diet, I'm at the lowest amount of fat that I can healthy, healthily consume. I could go lower, but I'm going to sacrifice health. Um, at the same time, you're going to sacrifice health regardless if you get into a deep calorie yeah. deficit. So it kind of depends, yeah. you know, but um, I, I posted my uh, progress photo on my story and like some, my macro stuff. And I had a bunch of people who were like, oh my God, isn't that too low fat? Are you, are you okay? Do you do like, are you, do you feel like shit? And I'm like, no, I feel fucking great. Cause I'm still eating 200 grams of carbs over 200 grams of carbs. Yeah. And I'm only having 40, 41 grams of fat, which is really low, mm. but like that's easier for me to adhere to and carbs are fuel. Right. And I'm like the real, the realization is this is if I, so I'm consuming, I think 2,300 calories right now. If I, and I have 41 grams fat, 200 and something grams carbs, if I were to bring my fats up to 50, 55 or 60 to like focus on hormonal health and drop my carbs, I would feel worse because I'd have less energy and I'd feel more lethargic. And then mentally I'd be like, I'm fucked up right now. I'm unhealthy because I have no energy. You feel like shit. You're unmotivated. But because I have more carbs, I feel energetic. I feel good. I feel my training's still good. Um, if I followed this little fat of a diet for six months, yeah, I'd probably see a decline in testosterone. So when did you start this amount of fat? Like a week ago. Oh, okay. Literally, we just adjusted and everybody's like, holy shit. Okay. Before it was 55 grams of fat. And it was basically like, we got to drop calories. 15 wanna, grams. Do you want to drop from fat or carbs? And I was like, fat, for sure. So we drop fat and progress is going faster now. So gotcha. it's like, um, it's just, a personal choice, you know. Just in a week. Yeah. Wow. And this is the thing too, is like, because I'm only consuming 41 grams of fat, which is pretty low, um, I'm also 
prioritizing the type of fats I get. So I'm not really having as much steak anymore and stuff like that. But I'm like, I'm, I'm going to make sure I get a whole egg in every day. I'm going to make sure I get olive oil. I'm going to make sure I get um, my fish oil in. The things that like, I would much rather have a steak and just have egg whites and cooking spray. But I know for hormonal reasons, it's good to have some olive oil. It's good to have a whole egg. It's good to have fish oil. So I'm going to keep those things in there to keep me safe. When I have more fats, I can easily get all those things in without like totally feeling the flexibility effect. But yeah. um, but no, I think like I don't have anybody who's on a keto diet. I only I have some clients that are on low carb diet only because specific we're reasons. at the end of their diet and they're just on low calories, period. And I didn't want to bring their fats any lower than they are right now. Um, but the truth is, is man, like especially lately, obviously I work with less people, people personally than my team does, but the, for the last hour, like year, the majority, like the 90 plus percent of the people I work with who get really, really lean have all done a high carb, low fat diet. It just works. And talk to any bodybuilder. They're not running keto diets. Like any successful bodybuilder, bikini athlete or coach of those, they basically run high carb, low fat diets, right? It's not always as easy to adhere to because everyday people like you and I, like I went to, to Toscano's on Saturday there's no way I stayed in my fat content. I'm like, hey, we're getting the fucking, uh, their famous something meatballs for appetizer. And then I got uh, this like steak thing. Like you can see the oil on the plate. It's Italian restaurant. There's fat all over that. But that's one day a week. You know, I have that day where I save calories. And I'd probably go over still and that's fine. I probably have my whole day's worth of fat in that meal. Not to mention I had wine on top of 40 it. calories. Easily. 40 grams fat. Easily. Yeah. Um, three calories yeah 40 grams but but like that's where like a bikini athlete or a physique athlete and those people getting shredded they're like adherence isn't the the focus right totally. they're machines so how can we take some of that and you know tweak it or do it to a lesser degree and still get those benefits by using it with a gem pop like in my example i'm gonna go high carb low fat monday through friday and then on saturday i go pretty damn low carb and basically just have proteins and stuff throughout the day um especially because I'm on a lower calorie diet so that I can go to Toscano's, have more fats in my meals, totally. less carbs, and I can still fit in my total calories Sunday. I'm back to normal. But um, yeah, it's just, I don't, I don't know. I, people, so many people argue against the, the high carb thing. It just you, cracks me up. You said you're at like 40 grams of fat and that's really low for fat. But you also said you just dropped down from 50 grams of fat. That's or pretty fi- low. To- or, or 55, whatever it was. Yeah. That's, I'm saying, well, some people even think that's low. 100%. What, what is that number? What is low? Um, yeah, so uh, the the safest low point you can go to, I would say, during a diet or even maintenance, it doesn't really matter. Obviously, forty. Um, it's it's half of your body weight in kilograms. But what what is what what is normal? And then what is that number where you're like, okay, now you're in a low fat diet? Half of your body weight in kilograms. Oh, sorry. So, I, so I apparently didn't hear that. So I'll do my my own body weight, 170 divided by 2.2. I'm 77 kilograms. So 77. Um, Half of that is 38.5. So basically 40 grams. I can't really go below this. Whoa. I can, but I'm probably going to be hurting from it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to have like my my little. 38.5 is really low. Yeah. That's like really low. So if I'm on a maintenance plan, I have to just be above that. Okay. So here's the thing is really low is below that, but that's where it gets unhealthy. Okay. Right. And some, excuse me, sometimes like I have somebody getting on stage this weekend they're in that unhealthy range. They're below that point, period. But they're getting on stage. That's what they signed up for. Gotcha. A normal client, I'm not putting past that point. You know, I might go past that point if my coach tells me to. Um, I'm not worried. My coach, one, has a PhD, so I pretty, feel pretty good about anything he does. Um, somebody on our team has a PhD, so I feel pretty good about the recommendations we provide as well. Um, it's just not a sustainable thing from a flexibility perspective. Totally. You know, so in different people work better with different levels, you know? So like for some people, 0.5 uh, grams per kilogram is actually like, it's har- like, it's not harmful, but they feel really shitty. I don't feel any different. If I drop below this, I probably would eventually, but as long as I have carbs, but here's the thing too, is I could, and they've done research on this. I could keep it at 40, which is very low, right? And I could go into maintenance. So let's say I started eating 400 grams of carbs. So I'm clearly not in deficit anymore. And I still am only consuming 40 grams of fat all those hormonal blood mark, all those things typically reverse and they're totally fine. Mm-hmm. So that unhealthy fat range kind of disappears now because my calories are not in a deficit. So calories is the, the, the main oh, yeah. precursor to health. Gotcha. 
in a diet, when you're in a deficit, you're already putting your body in a stressful state. So now you have to really consider where your fat levels are because you have to have your bases covered, you know, but there was one study they did in, uh, I want to say it was in this, there's a really well-known lab in Brazil that does studies like this. And they did that. And the, the diet was just ridiculously high carb and super, super low fat. Like I'm talking, I think the, in the study, they were 20, 25 grams of fat a day, like just stupid. And they had no issues. They built a lot of muscle, didn't put on body fat. There was no health issues because they weren't in a deficit. They were totally fine. Um, now the caveat here is if you look at the diet, it's basically white rice and like zero fat cereal. It's like rice. Cereal. Like dude, it's just a diet that you would look at and you're like, there's no way I'm eating that. Yeah. Right. If somebody's paying you to be in a study for four weeks or six weeks Good or eight weeks, of money. <laughs> we'll do it, yeah. you know, like whatever. But, um, when we talk about practical application, you're not going to do that. But at least when these studies are done, we can go, okay, well, we know that this extreme level of low fat is still unharmful as long as you're in calorie maintenance or above. So we don't have to worry about this. Hey, I'm going to put you on a low fat diet for eight weeks during this cut. You'll be fine. Yeah. Like chill out, you know? And we got to think about it like this too. This is no longer applicable for me because I think I'm at a healthy body fat range right now. But like, let's say somebody has 40, 50 pounds to lose before they get to a healthy body fat range. I would rather go super low fat if that meant they lost 40, 50 pounds of body fat because the trade-up of like low calories versus body fat, like if you lose body fat, you're going to be way healthier across the board. You could, that's don't eat any fat. I don't give a shit. If you lose body fat in this short period of time, you're going to be healthier for the rest of your life because of it. But there's like stage competitors. They go beyond that. Like if I get leaner than this, which I plan on doing, I'll go beyond the point of healthy. I'm healthy right now. If you get shredded, as shredded as possible, you do step into a range of body fat that's a little bit more unhealthy. Mm. You stop producing as much uh, hormones that rely on fat to be produced, right? Sex hormones, totally. stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's a... Is, is there a equation? When I say equation, like you said, half your body weight in kilograms. Yeah. Is there an equation for where you're like, where you wouldn't say, okay, now you're not in a low-fat diet? Does that make sense? When you're when you're no longer in a low fat diet, sure. Yeah. So like um, you say, if you are at half your body weight in kilograms and fat, yeah. or below, you're in a low fat yeah. diet. What makes you not in a low fat? Yeah, Above that? Yeah, that's hard. So um, I would say like usually. So I used to go off of like zero point three to zero point four grams per pound, not kilogram per pound, is like my general recommendation for fat intake. And that's not low. That's just like I mean, it's a lower, but it's not unhealthy low. That's like normal, right? Zero point three for guys, zero point four for girls. Okay. Um, zero point five of your body weight in kilograms, like that's low. So that's zero point two five almost of your body weight, because kilograms is two point two uh, divided on your body weight. If that makes sense, kilograms two point two times whatever. Anyway, um, the I would say like the general recommendation is is twenty percent. Above twenty percent of your total calories. Okay. The reason I don't like if calories 20, if if you're above twenty percent of your total calories fat, of fat, you're you not go. in a low fat diet. Okay. So usually that means like 35 percent of your diet is fat. Totally. Um, I don't like percentages though because it's so it's so dependent on so many things too. Yeah. Like, you know, if you have if you're like let's say you have you have twenty percent of your diet in fat, but you're in a five hundred calorie surplus, or you're just a genetic freak with a crazy fast metabolism. You could, could be consuming 100 grams of fat and it's still 20% of your diet, but you technically, by your body weight, only need 40 or 50 to be healthy, mm. right? So it's like, does that percentage make sense anymore? Not really. Or you're able to have such a high carb intake because you're in a surplus that your fat intake goes to like 10 or 15% of your diet, but it's still at 50, 60 grams because you're in a huge calorie surplus to gain muscle. So is that unhealthy? No, it's not unhealthy. You're still getting them out. That's why I typically say like 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5, or sorry, 0. 0.3 or 0. 0.4 grams per pound of total body weight is like a healthy range. Um, then the caveat to that is like if you have 50, 60 pounds to lose, those, those calculations aren't that accurate because we're going off total body weight, not lean mass. So there's a caveat. This is why like going online and doing a formula or a calculator for your macros isn't always the best thing. Because, or, or ever. Uh, ever. Because there's always caveats. You know, yeah. we, we use calculations to give us a base point, but with experience and understanding of the evidence and the and research. Human knowledge. And human knowledge and, and interactions and, and putting people through diets. Now I can look at a diet and go, okay, this formula says this, this one says this, and this one says this, because we'll literally use multiple formulas. My gut, as crazy as that sounds, tells me this. All right, what are we really going to do? Yeah. You know, listen to my gut, listen to my brain, listen to the formulas. Now we're going to create a plan and look at where they're at right now. Mm. We got to assess your current diet first and then we'll figure out where to go. Um, Feels like you've done this before. 
<laughs> Once or twice. <laughs> Jesus. There's just there's just so many. It depends, yeah. you know. It's yeah. crazy. Um, Dope. That's why questions like that are hard to answer on a podcast. Yeah. But, I mean, that was a 20-minute answer. I think gives good, it some good context. Good, good question, Tristan. All right. We'll go to the next one. It's question. funny because you read that, and I was like, oh, this will be a quick one. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been quick, but I just wouldn't have got the details crossed. Mm-hmm. All right. Next one comes from the one and the only Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, been in a surplus for nine months, ready to start a small cut since I'm heading to the beach in eight weeks. What's a typical cut look like? How much cardio is to, to start and then throughout? How much do you suggest cutting macros and calories? Okay. So there's a lot to this. Okay. So she said, been in a surplus for nine months and I'm ready to damn. start a small cut since I'm heading to the beach in eight weeks. What, what's a typical cut look like? Okay. So here's the eight-week summer shred manual for you, guide or something. Um, Magic. The magic tool. You're going to go pretty aggressive. If you have eight weeks till the beach, you're getting, you're getting shredded um, quick. You, have to, you, you don't have much time. Eight weeks is not a long time. And so what I would probably do. Also, what's your definition of shredded? Yeah. yeah. yeah who knows? Um, yeah, me and CJ always joke about getting beach ready for the summer, and then we're like, there's no fucking beach out here. We're going to <laughs> go to Alki. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's no beach out here. Um, so I would probably go pretty aggressive. So if you've been in surplus for nine months, your body should respond quick. Um, you've built muscle. You're training hard. Eight weeks is not long enough to lose a lot of muscle. So if you're trying to get really lean in eight weeks and you've been out of a deficit for that long, I mean, nine months above maintenance, that's really solid. I would literally chop 25% of your calories right out the gate. Mm-hmm. There's just no reason in waiting. Like if you go 5%, you risk not really losing anything because I'm sure your maintenance range is pretty big. And I don't want you to spend two weeks trying to find out where your deficit starts. Do something that guarantees you're in a fucking deficit. And a lot of research, when we look at diet break research, refeed research, fat loss research, if you like a lot of people forget to look at this when they dive into research, but look at the fat loss research and see what size of a deficit they actually go into, it's usually 20 to 35%. Very rarely will you see somebody go into a 5%, 10% deficit, yet we have a lot of coaches who put people into a 5 to 10% deficit and they're like, why isn't this working? It's not a big deficit. You got to put them into a deficit. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a time and place to put them into a 5 to 10% deficit because sometimes you know that little bit's going to work and that's actually the smartest move or they're already in a deficit so you only adjust 5% more because it's 5% on top of what you've already adjusted. But if you're just starting a deficit, you have eight weeks till your beach moment where you want to be super lean and you had nine months behind you of not being in deficit, 25% deficit, dive right into it, be aggressive with it, keep your carbs as high as you can, keep your fats pretty low like we just covered on the last question, but around probably 0.3, 0.4 grams of uh, body weight and fat, drop your carbs as much as you need to while keeping protein super high and get after it. You don't need refeeds. You don't need diet breaks. You just need to train hard, get your sleep, hit your macros, and keep your food clean so you can stay satiated. You'll get shredded in eight weeks. That's, I mean, that's the best advice I can give you. Um, if that doesn't work, there's something indirectly going on that is stopping you from losing weight, and you shouldn't be trying to get shredded in eight weeks. You need a long-term plan with a long-term structure and system that allows you to work through the roadblocks you're going to face. But if you're healthy, you've been training, and you really have been in a surplus for nine months, there is no reason in my mind that a 25% deficit wouldn't result in really good results in eight weeks. Totally. Plain and simple. As long as you're doing all those other things. Yeah. And I don't think you need to add any cardio into that. You know, people are asking me about my cut right now. I still don't do any cardio. I haven't done any cardio this whole time. And really? I'm down nine pounds. I thought you do like cardio like one, on Wednesdays or something. I, I go on a walk. Like, so originally I was like, all right, I'm going to do two. Con- I'm just going to be completely transparent with the audience too. I was going to do two conditioning days. That was my plan. Partially because conditioning burns a lot of calories, but partially because I like having some kind of aerobic work because it just makes me more athletic for my training. But dude, business has just been crazy of personal stuff. I just haven't had time. So like it gets to 3, 3.30 and I'm like, okay, I have conditioning day, but I have a lot of work. I'm going to work. I'll go on a walk tonight. Yeah. And I go on a 30 minute walk tonight and that's it. But really I'm just keeping my step count and I'm, I'm basically, um, I'm actually hitting like 13,000 steps a day. And this is a good tip of why like the aura ring so much more accurate. I was wearing my Apple watch and I was getting 9,000 a day. I did not change a damn thing. I got this aura ring and I was hitting 11,000 a day. How do you know the aura ring is not accurate? 
mean less accurate yeah. because it's more expensive, has more ratings. There's, there's a better pulse reading on your finger. Like I've looked into a lot of this stuff. Um, don't, don't, the Apple don't Watch is on my Apple Watch. The Apple Watch is known to it's not the best no, tracker. Yeah. Honestly, there's no perfect tracker. Yeah. It's very hard to do so. Um and then I bumped it up to like 13,000. Every once in a while, if I have the time, I'll do a conditioning session like we did the band resist yeah. jumps and sprints the one day. Yeah. Um but most often, dude, I literally I'll go on a 30-minute walk at night um on those days and then on the days where I'm strength training, I'll go on like a 10 to 20-minute walk. And then I walk throughout the day when I can. Um, but I'm just keeping my step count up, so, totally. which is way easier and less stressful because I'm like, oh, I got to call. Let me walk. Oh, like Blake is going down for a nap. I'm going to go on a walk or like, anything. Blake, you want to go on the trail? Cool. Let's go on a walk, which usually ends up me carrying around my shoulders, walking through the trails, but just still walking. Count. Yeah. So you don't need, need cardio. If you're only lifting four days a week and you like being in the gym five, six days a week, it definitely doesn't hurt to do some conditioning. Yeah. It's going to be beneficial and you might get there faster. Um, for me personally, it's just, it's just hard with my schedule sometimes. Totally. All right, cool. The next one is going to come from I'm Joe Sachs. It says, uh, what's the best way to develop a training program for fat loss? The best way to develop a training program for fat loss. Don't change anything from what you were doing before. If I could give you an answer in one word on how to create a training program for fat loss, I would say don't change anything that you were doing prior to fat loss because prior to fat loss, you were probably training for strength or hypertrophy and you should continue training for strength or hypertrophy. A lot of people make the mistake of changing their training when they enter into fat loss, but when the reality is, is the diet and your general step count and health markers, those are the things that are going to lead to fat loss, right? So if you're dieting properly, you have your step count up, you're getting enough sleep, you're eating whole foods, you're eating high protein, um, you're practicing stress management, all those things. That's that, those are your fat loss tools. Training's job during fat loss is primarily to maintain muscle mass and strength. So if you can train to maintain the muscle you already have and the strength you already have, you're gonna be fine. Like does strength training burn calories? Of course. But the reality is I can do an hour long lifting session and I could do an hour long cardio session walking on a treadmill. I'll burn more calories walking on that treadmill than in the strength training session. During that session, after the fact, I'll probably burn a little bit more calories with strength training because, you know, there's a compound effect of your metabolism is rate elevated for a longer period of time afterwards. So is your heart rate. You build muscle tissue. Muscle tissue is more metabolically active, like hormonal stuff. There's a lot of things that could potentially lead to more calories burn days later, tomorrow, next week, stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, strength training's job is just to maintain what you've already built prior. So I think it's a mistake when people develop a new plan for fat loss. Um, the only things I would say you should change when you enter fat loss is either reducing intensity or volume. Because the reality is, is, you know, if you, let's say you have, you're doing 20 sets per muscle group per week, which is a really high volume program and you, your intensity is decent. Mm-hmm. Like you, intensity being like low rep, high, vo- like high weight. Pro, like training and then the rest of it's high volume bodybuilding power building style training um, and you're training five days a week and you enter a fat loss phase you can keep doing the exact same thing not change a thing for four weeks maybe longer you'll feel when you start getting lethargic totally that's when you're like okay i've used up my energy stores now i'm gonna go from five days to four days what also happens is you go from doing 20 sets per week per muscle group to 15 because you dropped a complete training session, Totally right? And your intensity is going to be kind of auto-regulated. So I advise just keeping that up because if you're doing, let's say your compound lift each day is five reps, that's pretty low volume, high intensity, and you're doing deadlifts for five. Um, you were doing 405, 400 pound deadlifts for five reps when you were eating a lot of food and you were in a muscle gain phase. Cool. Now you're in a fat loss phase, you're having less energy. You're probably going to be able to put up 350, let's say, and you use the same amount of energy that's an, you automatically reduced intensity. So I don't think people should go into it going, oh, I'm going to fallow space. I'm going to go lighter. No, no, no. Go heavy as you can. Just be ready that that heavy as you can is going to be less than it was because you have less energy coming in. doesn't mean you got weaker. It's just a neurological adaptation from eating less food. When you go back into a gaining phase, all of a sudden you're hitting 405 again. You're like, oh shit, I got strong again. No, it never went away. It's just muscle memory, right? You, you, you were always that strong you just weren't in a position where you were capable of expressing that strength because you were in a deficit, in a fat loss phase. So I think for most people doing the same thing and just focusing on maintaining muscle and strength and then reducing total volume 
as you get deeper into the de deficit is the best route to go. Um, that's why like I'll have people in a surplus and they're doing a five or six day split. And then when we go on a fat loss phase, we go into a four day upper lower split because it automatically reduces volume a good amount without us having to overthink it too much. Totally. And that works well. Yeah. Cool. Great. Uh, answer. I, I'm going to go to the next one. It says I R period Taza here. Taza. I don't know. Hardest thing personally for you when it comes to muscle growth. Mm. I'm going to sound like such a. Nothing. It's not hard for me. I don't want to sound like a cocky asshole, but you know, there's certain people where fat loss is weight. Like I know people where I'll put them through a cut and they get fucking shredded. Yeah. They just get eat. They just get lean easy. There's no, their, their body doesn't put up a fight. And then I know people who we try to gain muscle and it's like a snail's pace. Like it just doesn't go anywhere. My last cut or my last bulk that I did when I was like, all right, I'm going to put on some muscle was 2019. Um, after my photo shoot going into 2020, so the end of 2019, early 2020, actually it was mainly 2020 because it started in January when I hired Eric Trexler and we went into like an actual surplus and I started lifting six days a week. I was like, I'm going to put on muscle. I gained seven pounds in the first like month or two. Like I just blew up and I didn't get fat. Like, and then I put on another nine pounds because I gained 16 total over the course of that year. 16 pounds is a lot. And yeah. granted, five pounds of that was muscle its day. That's still 11 pounds, at least 10, even if we say six pounds was fat. That's a lot of muscle. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it wasn't really hard. I mean, it was, it was hard because I had to work hard, but it's simple. You know, I don't have to overcomplicate shit. I don't have to, I go into a little bit of a surplus, take my creatine, train and train. That's it. That's all I had to do. Um, Fat loss for me, my body puts up a fight. It's just more stubborn. And why is that? I don't know. Um, I it could be genetically. It could also be like an adherence thing. Like it's, it's, I put up more resistance mentally when I have to eat less food because I make excuses in my head of like, well, I got to produce at work and, you know, I want flexibility for my relationship. And instead of just doing it, um, even though at the end of the day I do it, uh, muscle growth, it's way easier. It's way easier to do because yeah. I have no problem being like, oh, you want me to eat more food and lift? Cool. Let's do it. Um, whereas for some people mentally that's harder because they don't want to get fat. They're so fearful of putting on body fat that uh, they won't even give themselves just a chance. the concept of it. Exactly. So it could be that, but it also could just be genetically. <laughs> my body is made up that way. It's harder for me. It's stubborn to lose fat and it's easy to build muscle. So, yeah. um, I don't really struggle with, with muscle growth, um, at all. Yeah. To be honest with you. I just got to do the right thing and just stay consistent with it. For sure. All right, we got one more question here. It comes from MD uh, Advice. I feel like I should give a little context for the people that listen. They're like, well, okay, fucker, that's not me. You know what I mean? That way people listen are like, well, what about those of us who do struggle with muscle growth? If it's not a mental block, I'll make this quick. If it's not a mental block where you, you just are so afraid of gaining some weight, which are, usually that's the case, um, usually that's the case. Like you just <laughs> get over the mental block because I'm trying to think of it like, most of the time, the only other thing I can think of is kind of going back to the keto thing discussion we had. Sometimes people have an issue when they, they go, all right, I just need to raise my calories. So I need to raise 100 calories. Okay, 50 calories via fat, 50 calories via carbs. fifty cal And they just keep doing that. And my whole philosophy has always been keep protein pretty high, keep fat low, crank carbs up as much as you can, and just, just keep training harder. When you do that, usually you build muscle. A lot of times people bring fats up too much, and it doesn't encourage their training to get maximized, and it doesn't encourage their muscles to use the nutrients they're giving, they're more likely to store body fat, which is going to lead to the other thing too. Now you're, you are storing a little bit of body fat and now you're getting more self-conscious and insecure. And now it's an issue because you're putting on body fat, but it's because you're intaking too much fat. Gotcha. So keep carbs or fats low, crank carbs up, um, train more, train harder, push yourself way harder than you are in the gym. I mean, get a gym partner that pushes you and fucking lift, like lift hard and train five or six days a week with a lot of volume. Like, there's, there's just too much research that shows high volume programs build muscle. So if you really struggle to build muscle, push yourself harder and, and count your sets per week and really get after it. Do a push, pull, leg split, get in the gym six days a week and lift. Totally. Do it for three, even just three months. And if you don't see a difference, I would be shocked. And if you still don't see a difference, hire a professional because that's where people like me come in like a technician and start manipulating little random things and tweaking things here and there. And we change your routine to be more muscle building. Yeah focused and, and it, it works identifying those things that could be stopping exact process that you don't know how to identify yeah 100 yeah. percent. totally that's great man all right 
Again, we'll go to the next one from MD Advice. It says, how do you deal with insecurities? I think everybody's, actually, everybody's not different. You know, when it comes to insecurities, everybody has insecurities. Uh, they're all about different things. But when we consider what allows people to work through insecurities, it's the same across the board. We all have insecurities. We all have different insecurities. But ultimately, we all get over insecurities by doing the same exact thing. And that's working directly into the insecurity. And I think that's where people fuck up. They're so afraid to face the insecurity head on that they continue to get crippled by it, right? So if you are fearful of crowds or public speaking or being in front of other people, what is the best way to eliminate that insecurity? Go on Facebook Live, go on Instagram Live, go post on Instagram, go publicly speak, go talk in front of a crowd of people, go to a public gym, do anything you can to put your, go do improv, that's probably the best one. But it's facing your fear, it's the only way. So if you fear the gym, what is the best way to get over gym intimidation? Go to the fucking gym, period. If you fear goals and challenges, what is the best way to conquer those? Or if you just fear all these because you have an insecurity about yourself and you doubt yourself, what is the best way to do? Action, take action, set a goal, start working towards it. Hire somebody that's gonna push you, hire a mentor, go to a challenge, enter in some kind of competition. Do something that's gonna force you to push into the resistance that that insecurity puts against you. That is the only way you're gonna get over it. Right? It's the same thing as like the book, the obstacle is the way. The reason that saying is so relevant and so powerful is because your obstacle is the insecurity and it is the way. Going through the obstacle is the only way to the other side of the insecurity, period. Mm. So it depends on what your insecurity is, obviously, but I ultimately think the only way to get over insecurities and the only way I get over insecurities is by facing it, you know? Um, public speaking for me was something that was not easily mastered. I didn't, I didn't feel confident about it. I didn't feel comfortable about it. I had a mentor who challenged me to do a Facebook live every single week after doing a few and nobody talking shit to me and hating on me and getting over the, the realization that only a few people are going to watch this at first. It was cake. Yeah. Just like, let's just fucking do it. After the first time I was on camera, it just became really natural and easy for me to do. So I think that again, everything in my life that has allowed me to get over insecurities has always just been facing it. And I think that anybody listening to this, no matter what your insecurity is, because we all have them, I, I really don't think there's an insecurity that you could throw at me that couldn't be solved by facing it, right? This does not make it easier, right? At the end of the day, insecurities are a hard thing to deal with for all of us. And an even harder thing to deal with is to face them head on. So when I say it's simple, if you fear public speaking, go fucking speak in front of people. Go do Instagram Live, Facebook Live, anything like that. I'm not saying like, hey, this will be easy. Just do this. I'm going to say this is going to be really hard. It's going to be very uncomfortable. You are not going to want to do it. Every single ounce of your being is going to tell you not to and give you reasons why you don't need to, why you shouldn't, why public speaking is not that big of a deal, why the insecurity is fine. You don't need to really, really, really worry about it. But that's your subconscious trying to talk you out of it. Yeah. Right. Your gut's going to tell you, I have to do this. Right. That's why when we have a gut feeling to do something and it's very difficult or uncomfortable, we basically stay put or we grow. If you listen to your gut and you do it anyway, you get on the other side, it's usually not that bad. Right. Jumping in a cold pool when you're a kid is like the best example, or the lake when it's cold and you're like, oh shit. And then somebody pushes you in and you just get in, you're like, oh, this isn't bad. You warm up after a couple minutes, and you're swimming around having a blast. Totally. Right. You just got to leap. You got to jump forward to it. So it ultimately depends on the insecurity, but I think no matter what, the best way to face your insecurity is head on because if you don't face it head on, you're avoiding the obstacle. Yeah. But the obstacle is, it's literally the answer. The answer. I love it. The answer is on the other side of it. Yeah. Cool, man. That's great. All right, guys. So that was the last question we have today. So we are going to wrap this Q and a up. Um, I think that's about it. It's about it. No announcements today, guys. Uh, besides just a reminder, check out our sponsor, this Q&A is sponsored by Legion Athletics, the supplement company, the best supplement company, the most evidence-based supplement company on the market. Uh, all of our clients use it. All of our staff uses it. 
even our families use it, literally. Um, I actually just shipped my father-in-law a bottle of protein because he's trying to get healthy. So we all use it. It is the most evidence-based. It's the safest to use. It it's, it's tastes amazing. All of their products are great. Go check them out and save 20% on your first order. You can head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom, or you can click the link in the description. Um, otherwise, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time.